All right. Oh, we've been live for 55 seconds. No, we have not. We have not been live that long. We. Have... <laughs> That's a great way to start the show. Oh, we've been live for a minute. That's awkward. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, who has been watching the press conference that's been going on? Uh, man, I don't know about you, but I'm just not buying this face mask protects viruses from going out but not coming in thing. I was trying to explain it to my wife what was just said. And she just looked at me like, what are you talking about? You have no idea what you're talking about. And I agree. And I don't think the people that were telling me it knew what they're talking about either. How does a virus not go in through or not go out through a mask, but it can go through the mask? It's very strange what they're trying to pull here. Welcome to How to Build a Tent, the podcast on how to make you successful. My name is Matt Williams. Thank you for joining the show. We're part of the Fight Laugh Feast Network over to FLFnetwork.com. We're going to talk about Dr. Fauci taking a victory lap over shutting down the biggest economy in the world and why that scares me. We're going to talk about local bailouts. We're seeing some people looking to push the government to bail out other local industries that are suffering from the shutdown and this virus. And then we're going to be talking about some good news. Well, what seemed like good news is a small business got two forgivable loans and were able to keep their employees. We're going to talk about their response to it, which is just absolutely amazing. And my new rule for data criticism along this virus. So if you want to send me something on social media, on howtobuildatent.com, you can find me on all the social media sites, How to Build a Tent, where a lot of you are following me. Feel free to comment. You can comment and I can see your comments. If you have any questions throughout the show, if you're watching live, be more than happy to uh, answer those questions at the end of the show or during the show, maybe if I, um, you know, see them in time. Here's a little quick tip, though. If you watch a reform Jellicle or how to build a tent is if you can make a comment or a question short where I can read it without having awkward silence, that's really the best. Some of you have really great things to say, but they're like paragraphs long, and I just don't have time to read through a paragraph to determine if I want to read it or not, put it on the show. Um, so if you write a paragraph, I'll read it later, but I can't really read it on the show because that does not make good for good television. Let me tell you, this is not uh, NPR by any means. Um, but speaking of which, we're going to have a constitutional lawyer on tomorrow on Reform Jellicle talk about the role of government and well, they and how they should be thinking about things. Because this is my contention, or this is my thesis, or my thought. Maybe I'll just use a small word that I know I'm using correctly. <laughs> that if the government knew its role, we wouldn't have had this issue ever to begin with. But because we from the church have not been preaching the way God created the different spheres of authority accurately, we haven't known them ourselves, that the government has overstepped its boundaries and caused great harm. Like we're going to talk about right now, Dr. Fauci... And the press conference today, just listen to it, is taking a victory lap for the shutting down of the economy and how they have handled it. And that scares me to no end for this simple reason, because th this could happen again. If we look back on what's happened and say, wow, wow, we got this right. We really did everything that we should have. And we need to do this plan again, then we're in trouble, guys. We're in deep trouble. Because what he's saying is in this press conference is because we did what we did, we're able to reopen, we're able to talk about phase one, phase two of this reopening. 
And if we didn't get to that point, we wouldn't have had all the supplies that we needed. The hospitals would have been overrun and we would not have been where we are today. And so what we did worked, what we did worked. But here's the problem of this. And you hear it, you, the news starts talking about it, which is just, you know, you know how I love the news that they're reporting that in the fall that we're going to be dealing with this and the influenza. So what happens if this starts spreading again and the news decides to make a make this like a big fear mongering thing again, where we start getting bad data again, or we start getting good data again, and it starts spreading and more and more people get it. Are we going to close down the economy again? Because Dr. Fauci said that this worked, that this plan is what got us to the point of today where we can reopen again. Like we really need to seriously take and heed what he's saying and kind of push back. Like we really need to be speaking out. We need to write our representatives. We need to write our congressmen that this cannot happen again. A lot. And after 2006, this was common with the Fed. People were really scared because of how much un, um, never before done things that the Fed did, how much action they took. They did every tool in the toolbox and then some. And the big fear was, okay, the economy didn't grow as fast as it did from 2006. And the Fed has used all their tools. So what are they going to do next? And we've even seen them now with trying to come up with new ways of stimulating the economy and all this stuff. But just like how we can worry about the Fed and how many tools they have left to use if another recession happens, we should be worrying about this here. Because if our tool for curing this virus is to shut down the economy for 45 days, our economy can't handle it again, guys. We don't even know how it's going to respond today. We don't know how it's going to respond to doing it once, let alone a twice or having a game plan to continually do it. This is really frightening to me, and we need to really be praying for our leaders for wisdom and to speaking to them and reaching out to them. One of the saddest things I hear quite often is when a pastor or somebody from the Christian community actually reaches out to a public official, a politician, a governor, a senator, whoever it is, state representative, mayor, oftentimes you hear yeah, you're the first one. You're the first pastor that's ever reached out to me. Or you're the you're the first Christian has brought up these concerns to me. We need to be hundreds of us, thousands of us speaking out and telling them and counseling them and advising them and not in a negative way like you stupid idiot or anything like that. Be positive. Uh, but say, hey, I'm praying for you. I care for you and I want the best for our country. And this is what God says on how to do that. And you can give them suggestions. You can encourage them and you can exhort them. And that is much needed in today. We are suffering from generations of foolishness because we have withdrawn wisdom. We have taken the instruction of wisdom out for decades now. And so we're, it's not, it shouldn't be surprising to us that we're left acting like fools. Our officials are foolish and making foolish decisions. And we're spending trillions and trillions of dollars while creating environments where we need to spend trillions and trillions of dollars. It's really, it's really something that we need to understand and take seriously. Um, okay, so the next thing I want to talk about is the local bailouts. Now, before we were talking about the airline industries and how there were going to be bailouts for them, and we saw that happen. And one of the things that uh, I said was, is we shouldn't bail them out. We should look for other ways to help support them, maybe prepaid tickets. We do that in business called prepaid expenses. It's an accounting. It's an actual term. It's a real thing. 
And we should do something like that because the Department of Defense, state, so many different people in the government use airlines to travel and the government pays for those tickets. So why not just prepay for an infinite amount of tickets or to something to that extent, along with other packages and do other things, but not specifically a bailout? Because the government should not be in the business of picking winners and losers ever. Ever. And now I understand in a net again, we've talked about the, the oil industry. We need airlines. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't do anything. That is definitely true. But now I just refresh your memory and to bring back what I said before to say this. Now I'm seeing pushes that the federal government should bail out local news stations. Local news stations. The local news stations that are feeders into the national news stations that are anti-American that we see every day forwarding Chinese propaganda by that one organization that I can't say because the social media sites are starting to take that off too. And so how do we morally make the argument that we can bail out certain industries, but not newspapers? How can we make the argument that we can bail out X, but not Y, A, but not B? And I find that's really shaky ground. And that this is, again, another consequence of not having wisdom and not having wise leaders is that there's no thought process into this whatsoever is why are we bailing out certain industries and not other industries why are we giving money and special interest to one group but not the other and it's got to be better than special interest it's got to be better than lobbyists it's got to be better than your personal preferences and your own theories we have to have logical factual frameworks to think through this stuff and oftentimes the government just doesn't do that and it doesn't help like there's no need for us to bail out any news channels anymore we have the internet and obviously the news channels have not been right i mean is this recent 2020 proven that everything that they've said to us has been overhyped sensationalized and getting us all into this fear-mongering state where we have been overreacting I mean, do we really need the news in a traditional form anymore? I don't think we do. I really don't think we do. <laughs> One comment, government-owned news. Yeah, I mean, that's what NPR is, right? We gave them a bailout. So uh, that's just something to think about. Okay, I want to talk about a story, a real-life story in Washington of a small business who got two forgivable loans to keep their employees hired. Guess what their response was. It's, it's incredible. Uh, before we do, we need to talk to you about Kingsman Grooming Products. They have a 25% off sale right now. They have high-quality grooming products, pre-shave, after-shave, lotions. They have tattoo care. Go over to kingsmangroomingpros.com, put in HTBT, get that 25% off, support a Christian company, and get high-quality products. You're already using these products. Go get high-quality products. It's time to upgrade Get 25% off, support a Christian small business, kingsmangroomingpros.com. The show notes are in the link. And by the way, I just want to say thank you. Yesterday, we talked about one of the people that worked for me, with me on a startup. Their sister had cancer. We had a link for the GoFundMe page to help sponsor them. The outlook is at best seven to nine years. And just the responses that they've gotten from that, not just from the show, but from all over has been really amazing. And they've exceeded their goal they've extended their goal so i just want to say thank you to everyone who's praying for them and who made a donation to them that really means a lot to me and there's a special place in my heart for everyone that i've worked with who's been on my team for startups and uh, uh, man it's just sad you know two kids 
Uh, okay. Neither here than that's not part of the show today, but just want to say thank you to that. Okay. So this lady, Jamie Black Lewis, she received two loans from the PPP. That's the, I don't, I forgot what the initials is, but that's the small business loan that just got refunded that was running out of money. And she had a conference call and she was so excited to share the news that her employees, I believe there was 25 of them, 25 of them, 35 of them, that they weren't going to get fired and that they were going to have jobs. And she got on the phone, she gave them the good news and she was expecting gratitude. She was, they were expecting like this spirit of joy and celebration. They were going to keep their jobs because she got these loans that she needed. And the response was the exact opposite. They were mad. They were upset and they were bitter because they were not going to get unemployment. You see, one of the things that one of these phases did, I don't even remember which one it was. I mean, we're on 3.5. One of the things it did is it beefed up an unemployment. So in some cases, it is better for people to get fired and go on unemployment and not work than to keep your job. And so you have these situations, which this was brought up when this was extended, the unemployment is extended, that this could happen. And I think even Mike Pence was saying to the effect of, no, every American wants to keep their job. <laughs> nope, I guess not. So these people were angry because they could have got more money and not worked than kept their job. And this just took Jamie back from uh, Washington that her, I think it was a spa where her employees acted this way. And I bring that up for two reasons. One is we can't be incentivizing people to not be working, guys. Like this is insane. Again, this goes back to the foolishness of our leaders where we're paying people so much in unemployment that people want to not work because they'll pay, get paid more and they won't have to work. They could sit down. They could be lazy. They could stay at home. They could do whatever they want. They could get another job somewhere else, I guess, or maybe not for that part because I think uh, unemployment is only for uh, when you don't have a job, but, uh, you know, the fraud does happen. And this is one of the problems with doing these kinds of policies from a government level, from a federal level, is that you can't make the right decision for 350 million people, for all 350 million people. That it's going to be true, like unemployment, that's great because some legitimate people are going to lose their jobs. They're not getting them back because of what the government did. But then there's going to be these cases. And how do you know how many are these cases versus legitimate people that lost their job? You can't know. So at the very least, if the government is going to get involved in this, you would think it would be more appropriate at the state level or even the city level or the county level where you can have more attention paid to your specific community instead of just spending billions and billions of dollars on unemployment insurance or however much they're spending and have these kinds of reactions. And the second thing of why this is so sad is when you compare America to back in the day, right? The Wild West, you had to hunt, you had to build your cabins. There was this can-do spirit, this entrepreneurial spirit, even into the 1800s, early 1900s, I'd argue that it was still there. This idea in America would never have existed. Like, oh, I wanted government benefits. I didn't want to work. I wanted money from the government. How dare you take that opportunity from me? Such a foreign idea from what made everything about our country great. 
And what happens is when you don't have a job, you lose dignity. You lose self-respect. You lose so much of who you are, specifically as men, of a provider, as somebody who is accomplishing things. And when you are satisfied and content with taking government benefits from somebody else so that you don't have to work, that plays into the psychology of our society in so many ways that's going to impact us far longer than this virus will ever will. And that is something that we really need to reflect on and think about in our government and our policies and our leaders is do we want to be rewarding that kind of behavior? I don't think we should. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's productive as a society. There's no public interest in our government funding people that could be working that choose not to be and they'd rather pay government, get government benefits, even if they get paid more money. I mean, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't be an issue. Like we should have as much respect for and dignity for ourselves that we would rather work and get make less than to rely on other people's money that's taken from them to pay and take care of myself. It's a complete attitude shift. It's not one that's going to make you successful. It's going to be one that's going to keep you dependent on government for the rest of your life. It's a trap. It's a trap that's really hard to get out of. And I don't want you to be falling out of that. All right, the last thing, I have this new rule for data criticism. And this is dear and dear to my heart. By trade, I am a data analyst. I love it. I you know, continually do research. I talk about it. I use it. I query it. I present it to myself even. I build my own dashboards just so I can look at them. I love data. And I've noticed there's this data bias coming out with, with big time professional colleges like Stanford saying that their data is bad. And it may be bad. And it may be some kind of data that uh, we need to critique or we need to reject. It may be that. But what I'm starting to notice is this confirmation bias that people are not critical of the, the narrative. The data that fits the narrative, the data that's been wrong several times, revised down, the models, I've not seen that kind of criticism that I've been seeing against Harvard, or I mean, not Harvard, Stanford, and other um, labs, science, you know, scientists that are coming out with their own research. I'm not seeing that same criticism for research that is proving the counterfactual of the narrative. So if you are going to send me emails, or you're going to tweet at me, you're going to show me evidence, you're going to re Re, uh, rebut anything that I say or present, even if I'm not arguing, I'm just sharing the data. I want you to screenshot me the criticisms of the data from the narratives that have been so wrong in the, over the past couple months. And if you can't show me the same level of criticism on this data that is the counterpoints to the narrative on these narrative models that have been wrong, then I'm just not even going to respond because there's just too much of it. You got to be consistent in your criticism. That's what I'm asking about the press. That's what I ask for scientists. And that's what I'm asking for all of us on social media. Just be consistent. You can be critical. You could be skeptical. That's fine. I'm critical and skeptical. Uh, I don't believe most of the things that I hear on the news and the media on YouTube, on the internet. But you got to be consistently critical or you're just being biased and you have a confirmation bias. All right, Scott, be successful. We'll talk to you tomorrow. God bless.